Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 225 of the Fun with Cars Motorsport Miscellany, a brief rundown of the motorsports we care about, and this week it is pretty much all Formula One. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Chris Roche. That is just the most fantastic introduction you've given yourself. You know, I thought I was complimentary, but geez, you just really laid it on thick. <laughs> I, I managed to say my name, and at this age, I, I really hope you know I've got that nailed. <laughs> you said it, not, and you and you pronounced it correctly first time out. I, you know, that you're much better than I am at that trait. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, yes, well. I, I can say Robin Warner. That's a pretty easy name, isn't it? Robin well, Warner. my name is also quite Anglo, and uh, you know, especially so with the first name Robin, that's uh, more comfortable on your side of the pond than mine. But hey, uh, all's well that ends well, and it ends with Robin. Anyway, we had testing this week. We had Formula One cars going around a track, and in many ways, it was a lot less drama packed. And it has been in years past, but there's still plenty to talk about. Well, I mean, the drama was provided by the weather, wasn't it? I mean, the snow, which actually shut down an entire day of testing, and obviously the very cold, uh, the cold weather. I think it was christened the beast from the east back in England. Um, I <laughs> guess it was uh, Siberian winds whistling through Europe that uh, brought the snow. So, um, yeah, it actually um, canned an entire day. But uh, plenty of running was had, and lots of mileage was accumulated, and we learned a few things. It's true. And I think, to start off, there was no, from anyone, there was no, oh, we got four laps in and everything blew up. You know, everyone got laps in the triple digits for the week, I do believe. Well, the shocking headline was the Honda reliability, wasn't it? I mean... There we all were, myself, you know, leading the charge, saying that Honda was going to detonate every four minutes like it did last season, um, and it didn't. It uh, ran fairly reliably in the back of the uh, STR. They managed to, to actually, STR topped the team test mileage for the week. They did 324 laps, um, which, because Honda's only run in one team, meant that Honda still ran the fewest laps of all the engine manufacturers, but that's still... Uh, Still a, a mighty performance compared to last season. Absolutely right. And the first day, at least. Okay, Harrison. Harrison's here, too, by the way. And you're going to hear from him in the form of coughs and slamming his bottle on my desk. Um, uh, it was McLaren, indeed, that had trouble on the first day with, uh, <laughs> with what they claim later on to be a two-pound bolt that would failed them. Yeah, that's right. The rather embarrassing scenes of of Alonso in the kitty litter with a wheel detached from the car. wasn't exactly what they uh, hoped for, uh, but the Renault did run reliably. They did, get a, they did get a lot of mileage in. They did 260 laps, uh, McLaren. So uh, they beat the likes of Red Bull, Haas, and Force India. So plenty of mileage, and um, they set some reasonably quick times. They did. They did in- indeed. And uh, I'm actually going to start... Largely, now that we're getting in times, I want to kind of look at Thursday and then we can step backwards if we want to. Um, sure. Lewis Hamilton on the medium tire. Oh, that chap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've heard, I've heard good things. Um, I've heard some bad things too, but I've heard a lot of good things. Uh, he went out and on the medium tire set a lap that was more than half a second better than anyone else could muster. 
And this is early days yet. We have no idea about fuel mileage and different runs and all these things, but it was a bit of a concern for the rest of the teams to see. Yeah, I think we shouldn't read too much into the times yet. I don't think they've really started to try and run the cars in, in qualifying spec. But uh, but it was interesting for me that Hamilton hadn't had a lot of seat time prior to to the final day. Um, there was one day where I think Botas and Hamilton were supposed to share the car and do a morning-afternoon split, and Hamilton didn't even bother running in the afternoon cause, um, because of the weather conditions. Here's and there a- was some report... His official reason for that, and I'm sorry if I cut you off and you were about to say this, but was that it would it would cost the team an hour for him to get acclimated with the car, and rather than cost that hour, just maximize the mileage they could get for the day because of that weather you mentioned. That's exactly right. And, you know, you always monitor this sort of inter-team mind games that begin before the season starts. You know, maybe Botas has decided he needs to... Uh, Try and take a leaf out of your best buddy Nico's book to, uh, to to take a run at Lewis this season. But uh, you know, having more seat time in pre-season is one one good way to give yourself a jump start. But it didn't seem to pan out for him as Lewis was comfortably um, you know able to match his times um, on, on the final day. So yeah, Lewis was quick on the on the medium tire. There was a lot of different running on different tires, wasn't there? We had um, McLaren running a lot of very soft compounds, in, including the hyper soft grade. That's right. Uh, Ferrari ran, a, a, you know, their fastest time on a soft tire. So it's, you know, as you said, we don't know how much fuel these guys were running, and um, and they're all running sort of different compounds. So it is very tricky to compare times. But the, you know, the consensus was that Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull still seem to be the quickest teams out there, probably in that order. Yeah, yeah. Although on the final day, the fastest times, as you mentioned, uh, Stoffel Van Dorn, he was the second quickest in that McLaren. Um, he was the one that was a half second back to Lewis Hamilton. And it's kind of a blast from the past, um, a big a bit of legacy that we could see that the top three times set on, uh, set on uh, Thursday were the Mercedes, the McLaren, and the Ferrari. And uh, I was like, oh, it was just... Even for uh, the meaningless spec that it is, it was nice to see McLaren on that podium in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were quicker than the Red Bull. I think Stoffel's, if you look at the fastest times of the week, Stoffel was uh, about three-tenths up on Daniel Ricciardo's fastest time. But, you know, Stoffel was on a hypersoft, Daniel was on a medium tire. So, you know, you would expect there to be a lot of, a lot of time right there in those two compound differentials. So, yeah, it's um, we'll have to see when we when we can get more running on the same tire exactly where it stacks up. But uh, but yeah, it's great to see McLaren. I mean, Alonso is making very positive noises. He thinks that uh, the car's good. So you know, I don't think he he's not the type of chap who's going to say that if he doesn't really believe it. Well, and he's you know he's partially excited maybe because he has a what is it twenty six. 27 race schedule instead of 21 so uh, that could be part of his joy because he knows he knows he's going to be a busy man this year um but generally speaking of everything you saw what was your what was your happiest surprise and what was your saddest surprise well i mean the honda story you know if, if honda has somehow performed a miracle and turned an unreliable 
underpowered lump into a reliable, competitively, you know, powerful lump over one one uh, one uh, season. That would be miraculous. And um, it's interesting how Renault were talking about the need to strategize on grid penalties. So that tells you all you need to know about what they how they expect to go through the season with three engines. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would really hate it, honestly, if we find this bizarre situation that McLaren is still struggling with, uh, you know, an unreliable engine, and yet yeah, Honda now turning to be reliable engines. That that would be incredible dramatic irony. But uh, but no, I mean, you know, we don't want to see Honda being uncompetitive. So if my prediction is wrong and they actually have a decent season that'd be I think that'd be better for Formula 1 overall so that that's a definite huge positive I would like to share a quote from a Will Buxton you may have heard of him uh, and this is from a tweet Will wrote I don't want to jinx anything and it is of course early days here oh I'm excuse me very early days but at the end of the first e- of first test, can we just take a moment to praise the job done by Honda to have seemingly done what amounts to four years of adel- development in? Excuse me, I'm really bollocksing this up. Four years of development in the past twelve months. So, Will Buxton is claiming exactly what you're saying. Basically, it's like how oh, how they pulled off four years worth of work in in one year's time. Yeah, I mean, it's it, we don't yet and fully understand how quick or powerful the Honda is. I'm sure that some people will provide some impressions soon. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, definite improvement, right? I mean, I can't remember how many laps they did in the first week of testing last season, but I think it was in the in the dozens, not in the hundreds. So, yeah. big step forward right there. And, you know, a, once, and once, a good chunk of those dozens of laps were in laps and out laps. Right, that's right, exactly. And probably on the back of a truck being driven back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's worth pointing out that uh, it is a, it's a very family-friendly show today. Um, so uh, if you're hearing anything in the background, yeah, like that uh-oh that you might have just heard, um, it's okay. It's a family-friendly show, and that's how we go. The other thing that really caught my eye is obviously one of the big talking points from the driver's perspective in the closed season has been Williams's selection of Sorotkin over Kubica. Um, Robert had a run in testing and was handily quicker than Sorotkin. <laughs> so there's already some people wondering if Williams had made a bit of a clangor and picked the wrong driver. And they're saying that uh, the nuances of Abu Dhabi in that test may not have been um, the, you know, the perfect uh, condition to actually select their driver in the first place. So... One wonders if they might rue that decision. Um, if uh, Sorokin struggles this year and, and, and can't, you know, even get on terms with Stroll, um, maybe Williams would even consider putting putting Kubica in the in the car on a Sunday. Who knows? Well, I think Williams is angling at that very thing is to keep Kubica as active as they can, so they have that backup plan. And you know, I they claim repeatedly that it's not about the money, but. You know, both of their drivers are paid drivers bringing eight figures to the team. And it's hard to think of it as anything other than, well, these guys had the money. And, you know, we were talking last episode about Stoffel Van Dorn having the benchmark of benchmarks in many ways in Fernando Alonso. Well, Sorokin has more or less the opposite of that. If he can't keep up with Lance on a consistent basis 
that's not going to bode well for his Formula One career. Absolutely not. It'll be quite short unless the uh, the sponsorship money keeps flowing and all gets larger. Well, but this is, it's an interesting thing with with Russians. Uh, we've had a history of that. The last two Russians before Sorokin have had trouble careers, you know, and it, it seems like Russian drivers manage to impress to get into the sport, but do not have the staying power to stay, have several year careers in the sport. And I'm, I'm struggling to find, think of any Russian that had, you know, let's say a 10 year career in Formula One. Yeah, I can't think of one. I guess we are maybe being a little harsh for our team off after one, you know, a couple of days in preseason. We might give him a couple of Grand Prix before we do that. But no, yeah, it's, no, it's, no, Chris, um, absolutely not. not. Listen, well. no, remember, it is our job to speculate and make final conclusions <laughs> and change those final conclusions at, at a whim. This is, this is our lot in life. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get to drive the cars. We don't get the salaries, so we get... We get to make the bold conclusions out of shockingly little information. So I guess, you know, looking, going, going down the order of, of the headline times, I mean, it does, it does uh, indicate that Haas and Renault have made a decent step. You know, they now form a middle order behind the top four teams that we've already mentioned. If you want to include McLaren in there with uh, Mercedes, Red Bull and Ferrari. And then you've got... Um, you know, a pack of Williams, Toro Rosso and Force India pretty closely lumped together. Um, I can't imagine Force India will be the ninth quickest team. They won't have dropped that much. So, you know, that's where you really have to sort of question what these guys, you know, how much fuel these guys were running. And then Sauber dropping up uh, the table, uh, which they did pretty consistently last year. So maybe that's the most representative time we've got. <laughs> Well, you know, when we get to when, – when we talk about Renault, you know, I think they have a very strong driver lineup in Hulkenberg and Carlos Sainz Jr. And I think that will help play a role in those, in those moments where the cars are fairly evenly matched that Renault will be able to slide ahead of um, Force India. Although, clearly, uh, uh, the Force India guys are not – Slouches. Sergio Perez is highly regarded, and his teammate um, is not Harrison. Harrison, don't try to claim. Uh, his, <laughs> his teammate is obviously not a slouch either. I think many would even consider him the faster of the two. So um, that's the case. Uh, you know, Haas, Haas, they're in a different position because they kind of have a Ferrari support team role in a sense, um, but they also – they have, you know, their driver lineup. Eh, you know, I don't know. I have a hard time giving them too much credit. I think they're a little bit on the weaker side. Nothing against Kevin Magnussen. Um, nothing against Romain Grosjean. But uh, just, I don't know. I think of the driver lineup, they're a little bit on the weaker side, considering the middle pack. And then the Alfa Romeo Sauber, boy, I, it's just, it's a real... I, to me, they're the the wildest of the wild cards. They could really flux, uh, fluctuate um, to be even podium competitor at one track and then just barreling down at the back of the field at another track. Yeah, well, they've had a you know we've talked about this before. They've they've been under under finance for some time, so they they they've really got to recover from that, and that's going to take some time. So I think Sauber will, will unless. Uh, Unless the Honda engine does for STR, I think Sauber will struggle this this season. 
based on the rebuild. But now they've got Alfa Romeo and Ferrari support. Hopefully that'll that'll um, improve quickly for them. But um, but yeah, I, so there was a little bit more technical analysis that started to come out during the week as, as the cars were obviously more visible and, and um, people could sort of make an assessment on some of the developments from last season's cars. And um, it seems like that, you know, the Williams apparently looks like a fascinating a uh, fascinating design, big big change actually from last season's car um, that hasn't reflected in the times yet. But uh, but it sounds like Paddy Lowe is at long last starting to make a big influence there. What do you think of that? I, I'd I'd like to dig into that a little bit. You know, Paddy Lowe obviously developed a strong reputation at Mercedes, but I I, I don't know. I'm I'm curious if if he's he's not Ross Braun level in terms of. Um, status, but do you think he's got the real raw intelligence and talents to bring Williams up and maximize their budget and what they can do? I think he's one of these select few people who understands very clearly what it takes to build a competitive Formula One car. You know, he was in 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 a Mercedes in the early days before the domination began and helped assemble a team. Now, um, has Williams got the money to do what Mercedes has done? No. But does he understand which elements are probably critical and which ones may be less important to be able to prioritize those and get the team moving in the right direction? I think he does. Um, so I, I would expect Williams to make a step forward this, this season. I mean, maybe not in overall position if it's very competitive, but I think we'll see them closing up the gap to, to the front runners. Um, for sure. So, you know, there's no excuse on the engine. So the two seconds differential that was that was largely there last season is all down to to the chassis. So can they close that and get to maybe more like a one-second gap? Well, potentially that should be their goal, right? Yeah, that's that's absolutely fair. I, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Williams is the team that pulls on my heartstrings the most. I want success from them more than any other team. And I can't, I don't know. I, I, I just, I can't let go of that. I think that uh, if they have a strong year, again, I'll be over the moon about it. And we were just getting there where they, in it was the 2014 season, where they were really the team that uh, kept Mercedes honest. Um, but it, it's fallen, they've fallen into a mid-pack and even a little bit on the questionable side mid-pack team again. And I just so desperately want them to win a race, win a Grand Prix, be competitive. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I completely second all of that. That'd be fantastic. Even if it's uh, even if it's a one-off, you know, Pastor Maldonado in Spain type win, you know, <laughs> it's like, I'll take it at this point. Yeah, exactly. So, I, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, is there any, you know, there's not too much to talk about. There's another test that's happening again. I believe it starts tomorrow. It's, it's Sunday, the 4th of March today. Um, is there any other thing you want to mention before we wrap up here? I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, the first test, what we've seen in the pattern from previous pre-seasons is that it won't be until the last couple of days of all testing that the, that the teams will actually set the cars up in full qualifying condition. And, and so it will will be hard to get a true sense of the order until then. And even then, that's not always been um, you know, a good indicator of actual 
total race season performance. But yeah, it's very early days. Anyone who's already starting to think about tuning out because there might be another season of Mercedes domination, you know, hang on in there. I think it's it's way too soon to to suggest that yet. I mean, it's 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 looking ominous, but I think you know there's there's a lot of uh, things that the other teams have yet to really do to get their cars um, you know fully set up and, um, and performing at their best. So yeah, it'll. Yeah, there's lots of potential yet in this season. I wouldn't worry too much if anyone's starting to panic. Well, there you go. And I, I think that's absolutely right. And uh, because um, everyone's going to be so overwhelmed by the grotesqueness of that halo, there's going to be a <laughs> lot of development that people can do under the radar and sneak in. And it'll be fun to see. Yeah, they really look bad, don't they? I mean, <laughs> they do. with logos, without logos, body color or not. Aero appendages, they look pretty grim, I'm afraid, and I still can't quite get used to them yet. So um, there is one more bit of Alfa Romeo news, um, Mm. and that is that uh, there was laps completed by Alfa Romeo at Circuit of the Americas this week. And uh, not many people know about this, but it's true. Um, It was uh, considered a filming day because... It was the Alfa Romeo Stelvio SUV, not their Formula One car. (laughs) (laughs) And it was the uh, Quadrofolio uh, version of the SUV, which is essentially uh, the Julia Quadrofolio plucked and thrown in the SUV. The the key difference being that the SUV is all-wheel drive, the Julia was rear-wheel drive and Quadrofolio trim. But it's the same 505 horsepower, 2.9 liter V6. And the testers were media, including myself. And um, I wrote an article about lapping Circuit of the Americas in an SUV. And uh, just for a lark, just for fun, I'm going to include that in the show notes as well. um, Because kind of, sort of, technically-ish, Alfa Romeo's in Formula One. And this was Formula One track. So in my mind, it's close enough to include. With that, that'll be be a nice little taste of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what Alfa Romeo's Formula One season is going to be like, maybe. We're just a week away from open-wheel competition. The champ car race, I'm sorry, wow, the Indy car race starts next week. It's a week from today at the streets of St. Petersburg, Florida, and uh, that's going to be their opening season. All right, great. Motor racing, let's get going. Must be almost spring. Thank for that. <laughs> that is exactly right. So I do want to take a moment to thank you for listening Please uh, take uh, take another moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get your podcasts. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at funwithcars and check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. And before I end, I just remembered we got an email um, from, uh, from a listener. So we're actually not quite done yet. We're going to address this. Um, Sorry, I'm teasing you now. This is a little bit out of order. So I want to thank uh, John Matthew for emailing us. He was asking what it was like to be at the 24 Hours of Daytona. And, you know, basically he's considering it a bucket list and really wants to go. And I'll just say briefly that, first of all, John, thank you for emailing us. Second of all, yeah, it's a really fantastic event to go to. It's nothing like a NASCAR race. Very, very different crowd, different atmosphere. And again, because there's so much manufacturer support and they work so hard on the schedules, there's a lot of good that is um, happening at Daytona 24. So I would highly recommend going. 
And uh, he also added that he lives in Toronto and have thoroughly enjoyed the Sky Sports coverage we get here. I hope you get to see at least as much as we do. Apart from a, quote, magazine, end quote, type show, we get everything an F1 fan could want. Lots of pre- and post-racing content. And he says, though my buddy does get annoyed with the seemingly mandatory Toto Wolf interview they do every broadcast. But anyway, <laughs> so that is that is a uh, word on the positive of ESPN picking up with Sky Sports. So any closing thoughts on that, Chris? I'm rather jealous that the Canadians already get the Sky footage. You know, I know <laughs> there are a lot of people thinking of moving to Canada when when our current president became the U.S. president. Um, maybe that's another reason to throw into the mix. There, there was a, there was a, there were leanings, but that that's the straw that broke the camel's back for Chris Roche. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, anyway. Uh, I do apologize for sneaking that in at the end, John, but thank you for the email, and thank you for everyone for listening. And, Chris, thank you so much for uh, joining us for a quick uh, review of the first week of testing. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.